Hello everyone and welcome to Focal Point, the IMV Imaging Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by my fellow clinical team member, Sam. Hello, Sam. Hi, everyone. And then, as some of you guys may remember, we had the sad news after last month's episode that our colleague Kat was leaving the business. However, uh, in uh, kind of contrast to that, we have some good news for this month, and that is our colleague Laura Quiney has come back from maternity leave and is back in the fold again. So this week, we welcome Laura back. Hi, it's good to be back. So uh, Laura, Laura has um, been taking time off to uh, to look after her fantastic son uh, Leo, very aptly named young man. Um, but uh, prior to all of that, Laura was uh, a, a graduate of the University of Bristol Vet School, and following graduation, she then completed an equine orthopaedic and imaging internship at uh, at the Animal Health Trust, the AHT in Newmarket in the UK. Then after a period working in ambulatory equine practice, she returned to the AHT as a junior clinician. And there she spent four years training under the diagnostic imaging specialist team. Currently, she works as a clinical manager here at IMV, uh, IMV Imaging, and she joins Sam and I in developing educational content and providing all other forms of CPD for veterinary diagnostic imaging. So just a bit of a brief summary. As always, this week, we or this month, I should say, we're going to be chatting about a topic related to diagnostic imaging in veterinary practice. And specifically today, we thought that um, we would choose to discuss a topic which is close to all of our hearts, and that is how can we improve our ability with veterinary ultrasonography? It's something potentially of a, of a dark art, and we're hoping to unpick that and try and to de- demystify it. For you a bit so Sam perhaps you could uh, start us off yeah so despite the sort of advancements in technology ultrasound still retains an operator dependent component that requires training and practice and many vets um, can find it ultrasound quite frustrating and often don't use the equipment to its full potential um, so we, we so often in those situations we tend to blame ourselves rather than recognize that time and experience are, are needed but there, there are ways that we can help ourselves get better and, and today we're going to be asking that question we're going to be talking about how we can help ourselves improve that's actually a question that i'm asked quite a lot by delegates on our training courses um i think the first thing to consider is that clinical competency at ultrasound can be divided into four components so firstly identifying when it's appropriate to perform an ultrasound examination particularly with respect to understanding what information ultrasound can afford us and also knowing its limitations. Secondly, technical skills in image acquisition. So this would also include the assessment and ability to maintain high image quality. Then, of course, interpreting the images required. And fourthly, incorporating these findings into our clinical decision making. I think probably all four components are equally important in order for competence to be attained. 
But I know that there's quite a lot of emphasis put on image interpretation, perhaps because uh, finding the problem, as it were, is in our very nature as veterinary practitioners. However, the quality of our interpretation cannot exceed the quality of images acquired. And in the same breath, I'd probably say that I say, say that sentence a little bit too many times, but also probably not enough. Because I really do think that image quality really is the foundation of ultrasound competence. I, I think that's that's very true, Laura. And actually, for anybody who has um, attended one of our training courses, they've probably still got that phrase ringing in their mind from uh, when, either when you said it to them or or, or one of the rest of us. It. Um, I, I, I hesitate to to kind of quote quote it because I can't remember the exact reference, but I'm certain I've read somewhere over the over the years um a study that looked at um the underlying root cause for misdiagnoses in ultrasonography uh, specifically veterinary ultrasonography and um there was a roughly 50-50 split from memory between observing the pathology but failing to recognize it for what it was so essentially an incorrect interpretation uh, that was 50% of the time. And then the other 50% of the time, there was really no chance of somebody recognising the pathology correctly or not because it simply didn't acquire an image of of the lesion or of the uh, of the pathology, perhaps widespread pathology. So, of course, you, the, the, the form of that, the, the interpretation, correct interpretation, can really only come with, as you alluded to, Sam, expertise and experience. But if you're not getting the image on the screen in the first instance you're robbing yourself of 50 percent of a chance of getting it right and the flip side of that is you only have to really take a few steps to um to um acquire a diagnostic quality image and and be imaging the correct thing and all of a sudden you've you've you're likely to have improved your uh, diagnosis rate um kind of almost immediately and and really at relatively little effort uh, that's something that um, really with only a, a very small amount of, of kind of time investment, you can um, significantly improve your, your odds of success. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it goes to the core of it, isn't it, is, is, um, is, is trying to get the image quality as good as possible. I suppose when I think about it, I, I think about how... I sort of started on on my ultrasound journey, and and one of the first steps I took um, to 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 it was was actually just getting to know the ultrasound machine that we had in practice a bit better as well. And and I do remember doing something which which now I think was probably a little bit odd, which was I actually um, sat down and read the instructions. Um, so I actually got the instruction book and read it. And as much as a lot of it was um, was probably a, a little bit at the time maybe a little bit uh, boring or, or not all that relevant some of it just starting to work out what each control meant and where it was on the keyboard and things can be a, a really great start for sort of beginning to 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 sort of get better and improve your skill with ultrasonography because at times the, the machines can occasionally look a bit imposing there's a lot of buttons and um, it's it's hard to understand what they all do and I think people have a fear of 
sometimes sort of almost breaking or damaging the machine when they start to play with the controls or when they touch things. So a good starting point is just kind of getting to, to know the machine itself and know the machine that you have in practice. Yeah, and f- sort of following on from that, I would say um, as as dull as it might be for some people, uh, a bit, I suppose akin to reading the manual, um, understanding some of the basic physics actually is of more benefit than people might kind of uh, uh, kind of afford credit to because uh, well I certainly found anyway and I suppose I have a kind of natural enjoyment of the of the physics underlying the, the imaging anyway but um I I think if you can have a, a a sort of just a relatively superficial understanding of of what the machine's actually trying to do inherently then when it's perhaps not doing what you want it to do you've got some chance of reasoning through that logically uh and and of course then potentially starting to to make adjustments and and sort of tweak settings on the ultrasound machine um to to try to do something about that and in, in indeed we uh talk about on the training courses we perhaps again hammer the point slightly but uh about the fact that as much as an ultrasound machine kind of control deck can look daunting really there are only five key things that we uh, that we sort of need to think about tweaking to get you know, 85, 90% of the, the potential image optimization uh, done. And, and in fact, you could kind of lump two of those together to form to form a, a sort of four-point scale if you chose. So the things we think about would be um, the depth of imaging. Uh, again, it's it's pretty simple, really, but you just want to make sure the depth is set correctly so that you're you're maximizing the um, kind of magnification of the thing you're looking at, but without cutting bits of it off. I say the thing, you know, whichever organ or, or lesion it is you're interested in. Um, the gain and time gain compensation, and I say those together because they're the two I, I sort of tend to think that you can lump together. So essentially the brightness on the screen, um, albeit distinct from actual screen brightness. Um, and... So as I say, gain being overall and time gain compensation being the gain at specific levels through the screen. So that's your your sliders on most ultrasound machines. And then the frequency that we're using and the position of the focal zone. I mean, we don't want to get too bogged down in the details here, but actually if you can tweak those five things and if you can understand what they do and what altering those settings will do and, and base that perhaps on an understanding of the underlying physics, you're kind of, you know, you're 50% of the way there already in terms of image optimization, at least. So has anyone else got uh, any other thoughts on the physics subject? Yeah, I'm completely with you there, Ben. Um, Whenever people ask me what made you good at ultrasound or what really helped you, I I had to think about it. And I came back to the main point being understanding the physics, not only for the points that you've already mentioned, but also understanding what I'm seeing on the image. Um, whether that be from a clinical perspective, you know, what's, um, am I looking at fluid, soft tissue, uh, what does the image mean clinically, but also things like artifacts, you know, there are artifacts that you can readily identify, you know what they mean, but if you see something you're not quite sure, then it's very easy to go back to the physics, just the very basics of the physics, and work out what you're seeing and therefore what it means. And so it's really helped me not just understand the machine and how to get better image quality, but also how to interpret the images and apply them clinically as well. 
Yeah, I think that's that's actually a very sound point. I, I suppose there it um, it kind of blurs that line, doesn't it, between uh, you know these almost two separate things that we're talking about: image optimization and image interpretation. And actually, that that rather neatly bridges the gap between those. Um, we've we've talked a little bit about optimizing the image and and I suppose straying into image um, image interpretation. Um, there are clearly some factors. The, if you like the other end of the process, so more patient side and 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 um, uh, sort of setup side, uh, that that will also help to improve image quality. Sam, have you got any thoughts about patient preparation, Pat? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. I think this is one of the areas that that I feel that a, a lot of a lot of people overlook often because. I mean, let's be honest. We've all experienced what in sort of clinical practice. We we know what it's like. You're you're pushed for time. Um, there's often not the sort of um, time and facilities that you you want to have. Um, but taking the time to ensure that patients are are properly prepared is is really important. And what what I mean by that is just making sure that we've got them adequately clipped and that we have clipped the area that we need for our examinations. Um, a really common issue that a lot of people have with ultrasound scans is there seems to be this notion that you, you can get away with small areas being clipped. But if you've been trying to find structures around, say, the kidneys and you've not clipped enough of a dog's um, sort of dorsal abdomen, you're really going to run into issues. So a, a really important thing that can help um, is also just making sure we've taken the time to clip, we've cleaned the patients properly, and that we've given um, the ultrasound gel time to sort of soak into the skin and these can all make a really good difference to image quality and they make our examinations more rewarding because you're not battling against the borders of sort of clipped hair or or with a lack of sort of gel or, or kind of cleaning as well so it's really important to take that time to prepare patients properly and um, and patient preparation goes beyond that as well it's really important to think about the analgesia and, and kind of comfort of the patient and also just using chemical restraint like sedation as well as much as many examinations with ultrasound can be performed with patients conscious actually having patients sedated and um, allows them to keep still and keeps them relaxed and, and comfortable enough that we often didn't give ourselves then the time to complete our examinations so as much as we want to focus on the machine don't forget about the patients as well Oh, yeah, I think that's very uh, that's very fair indeed. Just just sort of stepping away slightly then from from preparation. So we've considered um, preparing the ultrasound machine and 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 kind of um, using its controls to optimize an image. We've talked about thinking about the the patient. I guess the next the next phase perhaps is to think about the exam itself and and the process of it. And it because it is ultimately a process and. You know, we're all used to doing a clinical exam where we, you know, whatever your process might be, you know, nose to tail or, or organ systems, however you arrange it. I'd warrant that most of us have a kind of so well ingrained process in our heads that it's an autopilot type thing. You, you could do a clinical exam kind of whilst holding a conversation with the owner and be reasonably confident that you're not going to have missed anything because it's just that same thing over and over again. And I think doing that with the with the ultrasound exam is is key. Laura, do you um, would you perhaps expand further on that a bit? Yeah, I think having a routine is hugely important. Um, not only 
does it mean that there's one less thing to think about? Because if you have a routine, you don't have to think, you know, have I scanned the liver? Have I seen all of the kidneys in two different planes? So I think it means that you have more sort of brain capacity to uh, basically compute what are you looking at? Is it normal? Is it abnormal? What does it mean? Do I need more images? Versus always thinking, you know, oh, uh, have I got all the images that I require, uh, that I require? Are they good enough? Um, and also it makes sure that you don't accidentally miss something. So I think having a routine is hugely important and I don't think it matters what that routine is. So for example, on our courses, we may teach that uh, for an abdominal examination, we start at the liver, we go to spleen and kidney, et cetera, et cetera. So we work in a kind of clockwise direction, but to be honest, so long as your routine is consistent, it includes everything that you need to examine or evaluate in your examination and as long as you are confident with it and stick to it then that is all that is required so there's no necessarily wrong or right way to go uh, out about it um, as long as it, you are consistent and you always stick to it likewise i think there are other things uh small things like with the uh, transducer always keeping the same orientation. So usually we have cranial to the left of the image, for example, and that also helps your hand-eye coordination. If the image always moves in the same direction with your hand, it makes it much easier. And again, it's one less thing to think about. There's nothing worse than seeing a lesion and at the same time as thinking, what extra images do I need? Is this normal as abnormal? Having to also think, oh, it's not quite right. I need it more in the center of the image. Which way do I need to move my hand? If you always have it consistent, it becomes autopilot. You don't even have to think about it. And I, I find it quite surprising how quickly you can attain that sort of um, ability to not think about these things. But again, it's about consistency and doing it every single time. Has anyone got anything else to add on this? Yeah, I, I was just going to just reiterate the point about uh, just so learning the, where the probe marker is and how it relates to that screen image. Because for, for me, certainly, that was a bit of a revelation um, to sort of improving my ultrasound exams. Because before, I, I think like a lot of people, I, I'd never really understood what, that that was even a thing. I hadn't noticed those icons on screen. I didn't know that there was this system for kind of helping to orientate those images. So taking the time to understand it, and just as Laura said, it's being consistent with those, um, really helps because it just does make such a difference to that, um, almost being able to understand your hand movements in relation to the sort of 3D anatomy and the two-dimensional image as well. So it's definitely a good thing to take your time um, with, is to actually make sure you understand how that transducer relates to the transducer position relates to the screen image as well. I, I I think that's um, that's hugely important. I often say this when we're talking about um, uh, ultrasound guided biopsy procedures with the sort of orientation of, of where the needle's coming in and the probe um, probe marker in the screen. But but obviously that's quite a, a specific example. But like you say, um, just just having that effectively the ability to perform pattern recognition because as soon as you change an orientation, you're essentially changing the pattern. It's amazing how um, how much that can sort of fox your brain. In fact, I was chatting to somebody the other day who was asking me to 
have a look at some i can't remember exactly what we were looking at now um some some image or i think it was a um i think we were looking at a, a short axis uh, echo study actually and uh he'd flipped the left and right compared to uh, i guess what i would call the normal way of doing it um and i just it took me about 30 seconds to figure out what he was actually scanning and it literally was just a mirror image that was the only difference compared to normal so i think that that's a very valid point sam I mean, yes. I think, sorry, go on, Laura. I was going to say, it's it's very similar to those optical illusion images. You know, if you look at it one way, it's a man in a top hat. And if you look at it the other way, it's a woman in a in a, a shirt or something. It's a similar yeah. kind of thing with ultrasound. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just trying to sort of keep everything as far as is possible, uh, everything the same consistently from, from one exam to the next. You know, so that the only thing that changes then is the presence or absence of pathology or, you know, individual variation in terms of uh, of, um, of sort of normal anatomy. And on that note, um, I think there, there's, um, there's merit in remembering, I guess, sort of think in your head in a logical fashion what we're actually looking for when we're performing an ultrasound exam. So I think we're all fairly familiar with the uh, Röntgen signs in radiography. We have uh, similar um, ultrasonographic changes um, or categories of change that we're we're um, going to be looking at when we're performing an exam. Um, so we won't dwell on them too much, but um, where appropriate size of an organ, that, that may obviously vary from animal to animal. So um, depending on which organ is, it is, it, the reference ranges may not be available, in which case you may have to be more subjective, but certainly forming some sort of assessment of size. Outline shape of the uh, of the um, organ and its margination, the number of them where appropriate. Obviously, that will uh, again be organ specific, but uh, it's worth bearing in mind. Its position within the body again is there. Uh, you know, is the position normal or or at least is the organ normally variable in its position, uh, or is there evidence of some kind of mass effect moving where it should be? Um, and then obviously one extra that we have with um, ultrasonography, which which isn't appropriate to radiography, is, is motility. Again, we're, that will only pertain to specific organs. And, and from an abdominal ultrasound perspective, for the most part, we're going to be referring to the GI tract. But nonetheless, we obviously have a, a, um, a sort of dynamic component to ultrasonography, again, which just gives us that extra degree of information. But the key is to be thinking of these things. So... Again, it will become, undoubtedly, it will become subconscious, but nonetheless, to be thinking through, you know, not just, oh, look, I found a kidney, but actually, is this kidney where I would expect it to be? Is it the size and outline shape I would expect it to be? Is it the echogenicity and echotexture I would expect it to be? Um, is it demarcated from the uh, surrounding organs in the way I would expect it to be? Can I find two of them? Uh, uh, and so on. Um, and, and I think that, again, just... It's almost like a mental checklist, isn't it? You know, I think we we mentioned checklists earlier on um, from the perspective of, you know, like an order of performing an exam, but also a checklist of w within that structured exam, what what is it that you're actually looking at? And I think, I think it, it, as I say, it will become subconscious. You're not always going to have to think kidney, size, shape, et cetera, et cetera. But it will just start to become almost a subconscious thing your brain does. And I think in the first instance, you probably have to almost force yourself through that process a little bit more uh, uh, sort of rigorously and in a structured approach 
such that it can then become second nature. Yeah, so I think those are really great um, points, Ben. And I think I think sort of moving on from there, once people have, once you've developed those foundations of you, you, you understand your machine and, and the sort of physics that underpins it, you are happy with the way that you prepare patients and then you've got yourself a routine. There's really only one thing sort of after that that, that, that can make a, a huge difference and that that is actually just just practicing just doing exams is the, the old day uh, and terrible joke how do you get to carnegie hall practice so it's the same thing it, with ultrasound it, it is it is an operator dependent skill like any skill you've got to um perform it over and over again and, and once you have those foundations just um doing them as much as you can trying to do as many exams as you can trying to uh, practice on normal animals if you can have you got um sort of friends or family or colleagues who you can borrow a, 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 a sort of a, a dog or a cat or, or a, a horse off of to actually practice on as well and just um, doing as many of those routine examinations as you can and similarly as you mentioned Ben um, with the ultrasound guided um, biopsy techniques there's also just then considering ultrasound phantoms as well and um, you can make them from a variety of household um, materials and they can then actually practice uh, your needle positioning and needle guidance using the ultrasound as well so it, the, the more you do the better Better and better at it, you you will get, and often that is something that people don't uh, don't do is just allowing themselves the time um, to to get practice and and become better at this skill. That's a really good point, Sam. And I think practicing on perhaps your dog's or colleague's dog is not only important for practicing your skills in ultrasonography, but also helping to build up that almost library of normal images in your mind. And I think that's so important because whilst you know we as vets want to know all the various different pathological uh, conditions and what they appear like on ultrasonographically, it's actually, I think, most important to know what normal looks like. Because if we know the spectrum of normal appearances of the various different organs, for example, when we come across abnormal, even if we haven't seen it in a textbook or we don't necessarily know what it means, we will immediately know this is not normal. And then we can look into it a little bit further. So I think it's really, really important to practice on normal dogs as much as you can. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, I guess almost then following on from that is is in those instances where, like you say, you you almost develop that kind of spidey sense type of thing of, I don't know why, but this just re- doesn't ring true, as it were. This there's something, um, some something odd about this. There's a there's a disturbance of the force, as it were. Uh, then you can go, you know, you can go hunting uh, an answer, and there's loads of resources um, available to do that. Um, and I think then then perhaps when you're at that stage, then that actually is. Um, maybe a, an opportunity or, or I don't know, an indicator that you're perhaps at a stage that, or at the next stage, just to say for, you know, for then refining and honing your skills. So, so for example, um, you know, CPD course, uh, you sort of start to, to look at, um, uh, at, at attending courses, which, you know, which take it to the next level and start to explain maybe in broader terms and, and, and more um, sort of generalizations, but start to talk about, um, 
you know some of the more common pathologies that you, uh, you you might expect to see and obviously nowadays i guess in living in a covid world as we do in, increasingly there are resources um you know available in different formats different uh, sort of um media that that you can consume often you know in your own time as it were or or at least at your leisure um on top of you know uh, uh, particularly with ultrasound we're talking a practical skill so on top of practical uh, attendance courses potentially uh, uh, as well um so i think you know that that it's almost like a like a kind of development path isn't it you know there's the um there's the uh, developer a uh, uh, protocol in your head get used to practicing that develop a uh, uh, then a like a library a database in your head of of normal then when you're content with that then start to build on your expertise and experience with with what's abnormal and you can also tie that into other diagnostic modalities so let's you know we're all, we're obviously talking about ultrasonography here specifically but that you know let's not forget it's not in isolation or it's not used in isolation so you could tie in your findings with clinical exam findings you can tie in your ultrasonography findings with um with lab uh, results lab data you can tie in your findings with other um, imaging modalities and i suppose gold standard where appropriate you might be tying that in with uh, uh, pathological um result or pathological testing uh, you know histopath for example cytology etc etc and in some ways, that's quite a good way of doing things because it does obviously require an extra sort of effort step. And 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 I know we're all, as we've discussed before, we're all fairly strapped for time uh, often. But if you do have the time or you can find the time, you know, if you've if you've got a patient that you've scanned and you've maybe taken uh, some biopsy samples, FNAs or, or tree cut biopsies or whatever you've done, um, then when the reports come in, you know, go and correlate that if you like kind of back correlate that to um to, to the data you stored when you when you performed the exam so you can maybe refresh your memory of what it looked like ultrasonographically uh you can obviously consult your clinical notes if need be to refresh your mind as to clinically how that animal appeared and then obviously you can kind of link that in your mind to a to a sort of hard and fast uh, diagnosis or result from from kind of adjunct testing the key depend the key um point there i guess from an ultrasonography point of view is storing images so that you can go and you know look back at them and, and compare them with with results and actually that leads us neatly into the next point we were going to discuss which is specifically to to store images so sam i might uh, get you to expand slightly on image storage yeah no, thanks ben i just very quickly i want to co come back to, to two of the points you made there as well and and uh, when we're talking about sort of that that development and one when it when it comes to cpd as well um it's good for probably people not to forget the cpd can also give you help give you those foundations we've mentioned as well so sometimes if you are looking at where to start and um, going to cpd can sometimes help you develop that routine and understand the machine um, and the sort of and and prep patient in the way you should so as much as it's a great way forward to continue to improve um, your skills it's also a great way to give you those foundations and lots of um, CPD providers have courses pitched at different levels for that very reason as well and something I think that you made an excellent point about Ben was that um, 
almost using some of our other clinical data as, as a sort of self is for self-checking when you've what you've done in your exams. And something that I always used to find very interesting was was when also you had a patient that you'd referred for whatever reason, was that if it had um, any form of imaging, was then actually being able to compare your kind of findings and your thoughts on the patient to what fed back from any imaging reports as well. And that can be a great way of, 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 of sort of just a, a little extra in, in helping improve your confidence and sort of understanding what's being um, done with referral imaging. And with that as well, um, if you can, uh, and again, we're going back to sort of things that we can do when, when COVID is, is not as big an issue, um, is, is also seeing practice potentially with specialists is a really good thing as well. But coming on to your point about the image, um, saving the images as well, is that as, as we've mentioned, our image interpretation skills are, are a key part of it, is uh, part of our ability as well. And something that, that I certainly feel people probably don't do as much as they should is saving images and video loops in order to be able to review them. So I think that's something that um, it, some people should try to get into habit of is as we go through exams in a routine way, start getting routine images um, or, or routine videos that we can then review after examinations. And especially with this, the videos, the cine loops that are stored on the machines, I often find that they are more useful because rather than um, a single frame, you've got multiple frames to be able to then remind yourself of what area you're imaging, which is not always that easy from a very single frozen frame unless you've labelled it well as well. And with videos, you can pass them on for specialists to advice. I mean, as I said, I think this is something that, that I feel is maybe underutilised. Um, what about uh, what about you guys, Ben and Laura? What, do you feel the same about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, it's probably a drum I bang a bit too much, to be honest with you. Um, I don't necessarily want to get too bogged down in 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 this part but but for sure um i historically you know we when we had uh, thermal printers and not much else you know it, it was expensive and 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 onerous uh to to be storing much in the way of images and I, that, you know that's fine and understandable it's been quite a long time now since we've had um really much more convenient ways of storage uh, um, storing images on a scanner and and of course then perhaps more importantly getting them off the scanner onto um, some sort of more appropriate storage device like a computer or a NAS drive or, or whatever. And modern ultrasound machines make this essentially a trivial process. So I, th I think there's there's little excuse for not doing it. And again, not wanting perhaps to get too bogged down in the, the, the sort of dull side of this, there is a legal requirement for us to keep clinical records. You know, it, it's a bit of a grey area with imaging, specifically with ultrasound imaging, um, in that... Um, because we can perform an ultrasound exam without actually storing any data, I think the legal situation regarding uh, um, storage of, of ultrasound images is is a little bit more grey than, say, with radiographs, where, you know, by definition, to acquire the image in the first place, you, you essentially have to store it, uh, and then you're obliged to keep it, uh, as you are with clinical records. With the ultrasound, it's not quite the same. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I think in the, in the spirit of being thorough and to trying to adhere to kind of good clinical standards actually storing images is is a good thing and let's be honest i would far rather um and maybe this is just a personal view but i would far rather if ever there were any question about something i had done i would far rather have the images you know and if it turns out i've missed something well that's fair enough we're all human we can miss things 
um, but at least you've acquired those those images and you've got a record of that. It'd be much worse to be in the the flip, you know, the reverse situation where actually what you did was perfectly correct. You just can't prove it. Um, so, I, I, to my mind, you're always going to be better off storing those images and having a record, even if you know you're unfortunate and you do miss something and there is a mistake. You know, at least that is that's kind of an honest mistake, and and yes, you'd learn from it, but it um, it, it's not something that's going to cause um, kind of legal issues. Whereas not being able to prove that you've proved that you've done the right thing when you did is is obviously a rather more onerous position to be in. So without wanting to get too bogged down in the kind of fear side of it, I, th I think having that record and and keeping it is is sound. Yeah, there's definitely a grey area where it comes to normal images if you've identified something as you think it looks normal ultrasonographically do you save an image or not i would definitely say it's best practice to save an image for all the reasons that you've said uh, but certainly when it comes to anything pathological or, or abnormal i think it's really important to save it not only as a clinical part of your clinical record but also uh, an image does speak a thousand words as it were and equally as and when or if you come back to reassess or reevaluate it ultrasonographically, having that image as a direct comparison is really important and really useful. So I think from our perspectives as clinicians, saving those images and saving multiple images is vital, as is making sure that you uh, acquire save those images in um, designated or very set ways. So you always have a certain quality of image. And so you do end up comparing like for like. Um, and that sort of leads on to labeling the images as well. You want to make sure you've labeled uh, what you're imaging, how you've imaged it, or and then for example, where. So that may involve I'm probably coming more from an equine perspective here, but if you're imaging a tendon, you want to uh, record exactly where on the limb you've acquired that image so that if and when you come back to reevaluate it, again, you can put the probe on in the same area and assess more objectively, is it worse, is it the same, or is it better? Yeah, I think that's very fair. And actually, interestingly, Laura, you sort of allude to the, the equine thing. I did. Um, I was doing equine repro work prior to to leaving clinical practice, and again, I think that's one of those sort of slightly unusual scenarios, perhaps where you know you're not always going to be storing an image of every single ovary scan, every follicle that you know that's on there. Um, you'd end up with a meaningless, you know, ton of images that that will likely never be looked at again. But nonetheless, there are going to be those scenarios where, you know, let's say you scan twins and then you squeeze one of them. You're, you're going to take some date, you know, some back uh, sort of evidence that, that that's that's happened successfully. Um, yeah, so there'll be or pregnancy diagnosis, of course, as well. There'll be certain scenarios where you do want to be recording data. Again, I know we're not perhaps talking so much about farm imaging here, but if you've got a, a farm vet who's going to be scanning you know, 200 dairy cows, it's unlikely that they're going to be storing images of, of of everything they see but there will be scenarios where you know something is out of the ordinary and they do want a record of it and I think just again being in the habit of storing images in those scenarios from a small animal point of view obviously it's, it's a bit more obvious you know when you're going to be storing things and that that's perhaps a bit more blanket most of the time um, uh, but but yeah nonetheless uh, is is certainly a um, a very kind of important thing to be doing. 
just sprung to mind. I mean, how many times, not necessarily just an ultrasound, have you taken an image or, or sets of images or something and you think, oh, it's so obvious what this is. I don't need to record it because I'll know it's so obvious. And then you go back to it and you look at it and you, you think, well, what on earth is this? I have no idea what is what. So um, I guess well, the same may well apply clinically as well. You, you do want to make sure you have all the relevant information there. It takes a little bit of time, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not very long, is it? No, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, following on a little bit from, uh, well, slightly coming back to, and then following on from our chat about CPD courses and, and, and also perhaps trying to um, either shadow specialists where possible or at least take uh, information from reports from specialists. Another thing that increasingly is worth considering in the in the sort of days of social media and and uh, online education and so on is is um, is online communities. Yeah, as with pretty much every uh, area of interest, professional or personal, um, there are umpteen online communities that um, that are available to focus on uh, all aspects of of veterinary practice, of course, but um, in in this context on veterinary imaging and and indeed in ultrasonography uh, in particular. Um, and, you know, they, they, they can act both as a source of, of uh, educational material and, and, and information, um, but also just a, essentially a, a sounding board. You know, if you've got a case, for example, that you perhaps don't, don't really know what's going on, you've acquired the images, you're not quite sure how to interpret them. Uh, again, there'll be, there'll be plenty of... Um, communities out there for the most part free to access um so long as you can prove you're a vet um where you know where you might find that like-minded individuals are are more than happy to to discuss to help to offer suggestions uh just really um as i say somebody to kind of um throw your ideas around with and 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 see if you're uh, maybe maybe missing anything Uh, and indeed we have uh we have our own uh, facebook groups but there are there are loads of other um, there are loads of other communities out there. So perhaps if you, you know, if, if, if this is uh, something that's of interest to you as a, as a subject, you know, ultrasonography, then again, maybe um, maybe worth having a, a look at those. Sam, anything uh, you might uh, like to add on that subject of communities or, or, or anything extra? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, as well, like you say, if, if you are interested in certain areas, there are um, there are a number of, of, of extra things you can do in terms of just support is that sometimes there's some quite good learning materials from different sources. So you can find some excellent learning materials out there. And, and something else that, that again, um, from, from personal experience, I've found very useful is, is also just, um, it's just getting some good reference texts as well um, is something that can be really helpful is having that, having something you can refer back to and look through, especially for more the for some of the more unusual um, pathologies or some of the more, um, is, I suppose, would be less examined areas of, of anatomy, that can be really useful ways of, of improving your skills and, and just getting a bit of extra knowledge. But there's lots of support out there, as, as Ben mentioned, um, from, from Facebook groups and um, possibly um, kind of journal clubs or free webinars. There's lots of people who provide them. Um, yes, our, we are one of the, those people, but there's also other other CPD providers and um, other uh, other social media groups where you can find these. So if it is something you're interested in, there's going to be a group for for you. Um, there's a group for anything. So it's uh, it, they will be out there. 
So a group for, for Star Wars loving veterinary ultrasonographers. That's getting quite niche, isn't it? But we could we could maybe start that. Um, yeah, we'll get that we'll get that group started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be done by next month's podcast. Um, so I guess just in, in summary, uh, then the things we were we sort of tried to to talk about uh, today. Yeah, first of all, take time where you can just to get familiar with your um, with your ultrasound machine, with how it works. I guess with how it works in the context of underlying principles of physics and so on. And also then with how the ultrasound machine works in terms of driving the uh, driving the thing to get the, the most out of it. Learn what some of the basic controls do and, and how they help you to improve the image. Then prepare the patient and where you're going to scan properly. Uh, again, just to try to um, improve the quality of the uh, of the data you're getting uh, and to increase your chances of making that exam diagnostic. Then be as consistent as you can. So it doesn't really matter what approach you come up with. It's entirely up to you. The key is that it needs to be repeatable and you need to be able to, to, to get it to a point where you, you pretty much do it subconsciously, just like we all had drummed into us as students, you know, with that clinical exam. Do it whatever, do it whatever way you want, but just make sure you do it the same every time. Then accept, uh, well, the podcast that brings it all joke musical jokes as well uh per sam's um suggestion you know practice 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 uh if you want to get to the uh carnegie hall of veterinary ultrasonography as it were there's there's really no substitute and we'd all i guess you know we, we live in a world now where everybody wants to be uh getting getting things immediately they want results and answers uh straight away and, and there really is no shortcut to uh to gaining that expertise um the more practice you do, the more quickly you'll get that that knowledge. So um, if you're getting frustrated with 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 the sort of the fact that it takes time, then just practice more and you'll you'll get there. Be prepared to learn from the best. Don't be afraid to sort of stick your neck out and, and ask for advice and opinions. Um, and that may well be in the form of joining a community as well. So it doesn't have to be just um, you know CPD or, or direct to a, to a specialist. You know, get get stuck in with the uh, communities out there as well. And then, uh, you know, remember to save your images. We all write clinical notes. We all save radiographs. Um, that you know, don't be uh, don't be afraid to do the same with your ultrasound uh, data, your ultrasound studies, and 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 look you know, look over them again, review them. If, as you said, Laura, if you're going to see a patient again for a follow up, go back to the original images. Um, if you've done multiple exams, you know, look look through the series, see what's going on, see what the trends are, and that may well also inform your decision making for the for the final exam. And then, lastly, you know, if you if it's something you're enjoying, remember that there's always there's always further you you can take it. There's always more training out there. There's always uh, postgraduate qualifications and so on that you can pursue um, if you wish. So with that, we'll we'll wrap up for this month. Hopefully you can at least find something to take away from from this and uh, and hopefully that will help you to progress in the quality of uh, the um, sort of images you're getting and the usefulness of ultrasonography for you as a diagnostic tool. So on that, thank you very much both to Sam and to Laura for joining us today. And in particular, thanks to Laura for coming back to us after uh, so, so long away. It's lovely to uh, see you guys again. Uh, thanks yeah thanks and goodbye everybody yeah can't wait for next month thank you and thanks also to all of you guys for listening 
as usual, please do keep an eye out on our social media for um, for next month's uh, episode, the release of next month's episode. And again, as always, if you have any ideas or topics that you would like to hear us discuss, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. So you can do that in various ways, but the most uh, direct and easy way is to email us at clinical at IMV, so that's indigo Mike Victor hyphen imaging.com. But of course, we will also uh, be able to respond if you come through our Facebook group, Instagram group, and so on. I think that's everything. Goodbye from me.